Hi, I'm Tread Hulse. Welcome to episode 10 of the Treadcast, a podcast about success, each person's unique path to it, and their definition of success. My guest is Charlie Farron, singer, songwriter, guitarist known for his work as lead singer of the Joe Perry Project, founder of the band Fahrenheit, and someone who has shared the stage with Ozzy Osbourne, Boston, ZZ Top, Rush, and Alice Cooper, to name a few. But at what seemed to be the height of his musical success, he took a break to have a family and go to work for Compaq and Hewlett Packard. It's been quite a journey. Here's our conversation. Hey, Charlie. Thank you so much for taking the time, man. Really appreciate it. There's a lot of fun. I love it. I, I, I definitely want to uh, delve in before we came on. I, I w- laid my fan card on the uh, table and, and told you what a fan I was of, of uh, Fahrenheit and your music back in the day. But first and foremost, I want to let people know what you're, what do you, what, what you're up to now. What's happening with you these days? Well, before the uh, COVID vacation, I uh, was touring as America's special guest <laughs> behind my ongoing rolling release that I'm calling Charlie Farron Guitar and Voice, uh, which is a single guitar track and a single vocal track, original new music, uh, playing a nylon string guitar, but it's a rock show. Mm -hmm. And I was touring the States with uh, Ario Speedwagon, Three Dog Night, and Cheap Trick, and Fogarty, and ZZ Top, and others as as America's special guest. So... Mm -hmm. Uh, I've continued to, to do that, and I've been doing. I've begun doing shows again, uh, releasing one song at a time to my website, and I currently just uh, am finishing up two songs uh, that will be added to my new collection. I'm not calling it a new CD because there are no more CDs. Right. So I'm calling it the the guitar and voice collection from Charlie Farron, America's special guest. <laughs> so that's what I'm doing, because you know, for somebody doing a solo show. Doing a solo show for ninety minutes or a hundred minutes is 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 really heavy lifting. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, I've really kind of fell in love with this thirty to forty five minute form factor for a solo show, and it works really well for the headliners too because there's no gear, there's no crew, there's no competitive sound issues. Uh, it's a really complimentary form for for performance for somebody who's doing what I'm doing right now. So yep. that's what I'm doing. I'm really excited about it. And uh, I have a show coming up with my friend Gary Sharon. Nice. Uh, who's doing a, a Who tribute performance on the uh, 24th of this month. So I'm looking forward to, to that show. And I have several other shows with Gary coming up. So that's going to be fun. You know, Gary is, is quite a bit younger than me. Probably in the ten-year, you know, area younger than me, and but he came from Malden, so he grew up in Malden, Mass, where I grew up. So I always have had an affinity for him and his brothers and the things he's been involved with, and I've seen him and his bands develop from the very beginning uh, when they would do shows with us, you know, with my bands uh, as as young guys, and and now you know, just I always enjoyed watching them succeed, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of fun to be. Uh, coming full circle and doing a show with with him and his brother and his band they call slip kid yep. and they do a who tribute act obviously you bring up gary to me and i think about extreme and and what they were the music that they were able to create as well i gotta say though i and i love america's special guest that that slogan is is just great but getting back to touring when uh we had the COVID vacation for you as a as, as a live musician as you know a touring musician what was that like i mean were you just sort of like just going crazy and, and driving your family nuts no not at all so uh i i must have done between uh 60 and maybe between 60 and 70 shows in that year prior to the this break and it was a blast it was really fun 
but uh, it, it was it was good to have that break because it allowed me to pull my studio together and uh, I really delved into my recording project. So uh, no, not at all. I mean, I've um, always been able to 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 find the silver lining in any situation. And that, that's really worked well for me throughout my life and career. Charlie Farron, singer songwriter, is my guest on the Treadcast. All right, Charlie, let's get back into let's get let's let's go into the time to the way back machine. I'll, I'll get it out. I haven't even started drinking yet. And <laughs> so we're talking about uh, the late seventies, early eighties. Up and coming musician in Boston was just something where you really set your mind to it that you wanted to play guitar, you wanted to create music. And it just sort of built on there from band to band to band. So kind of take me back to those days with the, you know, you on your way up and and the the drive you had to just keep plugging. Because as you know very well, the music business can can be a tough animal. Well, it sure can be. And, uh, you know, I never looked at it as the music business. It was something that I just aspired to. And you're drawn to other people who are similarly, you know, inspired to do it. I don't think most people are, I don't think most people get into this because they want to be rich and famous. I think that they are compelled to do what they see others doing or to build on what they see others doing. And it's it's interesting, you know, a lot of the people that I've known who are in this business, in this world, kind of all have very similar stories. And after you've done this for a long time, you get to know most of these people. <laughs> And everybody has that similar story, you know, seeing bands that they love on TV, wondering what kind of gear they have, where do they buy those cool clothes, you know, all of that. <laughs> yep. So uh, how do they get their hair look, you know, who cuts <laughs> their hair, it's just all of that, right? right. How do they keep their G-string in tune? <laughs> all, all those things, everybody has the similar stories. So when you when you start to work with people and, and start to feel there's a kind of a, a, a family kind of a feel to it when, when people kind of share those same stories and in my generation it was in in a lot of cases it was the beatles you know seeing the beatles the experiencing that boom was the thing as an 11 year old or a 12 year old or however old i was to see them explode like that was just really exciting mm -hmm. and uh, i didn't know anything about music i just knew that i wanted in you know yep. and i started i was in bands i i realized early on that it was much better for, for at least for me for the way i sang and played to write my own music I, I could write things, I could invent things that were real, well suited to the way I played and sang more easily than I could emulate other people in the way they sang and played. And in high school, I had a band and we won a contest playing a song I wrote. I don't even remember the song, but uh, we won a prize and I just thought I was a junior in high school and I thought, there's no way I'm not going to be doing this for my, <laughs> for my life. So right. that was really the thing that, that kicked me off. And uh, yeah, you know, you go through ups and downs, and I think that the downs uh, kick a lot of people off track. And fortunately, I was able to, you know, stick with it and, you know, find my way to a place where I could create my own music. You know, I always had a little studio. My first, my first experience was two mono reel-to-reel -reel tape decks, and I would oh, wow. sing and play into one, and then I'd play it back and sing along with it into another one. And I actually got a song on the radio. Uh, recording it like that nice. and uh, they had put my band on the map and we started selling out we started getting gigs and selling out rooms and we actually had a couple of songs on the radio and started being able to play regionally mm -hmm. and sell rooms out regionally nice um yeah so it was exciting i mean this is fast forwarding through a lot of stuff yeah but uh, eventually, I was able to connect with Joe Perry and um, do a record with Joe 
in in the project. Yep. David Hull and Ron Stewart and tour North America. You know, so that was very exciting. And so that really was the thing that, that kicked off my my career. Now with Joe Perry, now the, I I heard the audition that you had for him was was a little bit daunting. Is that true? No, uh, no, that's not true at all. Okay. Um, uh, we we uh, I can't. I, I, he was he was being managed by Don Law at the time. Yep. Somehow or other, I got connected with the audition process. I sent in some photos and. Uh, they called me and said, let's do an audition. I went to the Orpheum. It was at the Orpheum Theater. Now, I had been to so many concerts in high school and college at the Orpheum Theater. And so to walk into the Orpheum Theater to, to do an uh, audition was, was really a, a treat. Wow. And it was also <laughs> it was also a little bit overwhelming. But, you know, I, I, in truth, I had a I, I felt like I had accomplished a lot to that point. Mm -hmm. And I was very, very confident when I went into that audition. I felt immediately like it clicked. Even before I started playing, I thought, no, I got this. Wow. And, and there were a lot of people there. There were, you know, you, you, you've been to the Orpheum? I'm oh, hell yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been to a bunch of shows yeah, there. So, yep. so they're set up on stage. And then there's, I want to say, at least a dozen people with guitars sitting in the seats. <laughs> and I thought, no, this is, this is my time. I, I got this. And we and it clicked right away. You know, I knew I'd known Ronnie Stewart, and I had just you know that day I met Joe and I met David Hull, who was playing bass and who went on to be in Fahrenheit uh, with me, and uh, great co-writer. And uh, I'm still in touch with all those guys, and they they number among my best friends. And so, can you can you name any of the other guitarists that were there? Anybody that we know? <laughs> um, no, I I don't. I don't remember knowing them. I mean, I probably did because I had been playing around Boston right. for many years. Right. So I probably did know them, but I I had tunnel vision that day. Yeah, I I, can, I I can see where that and and I love the fact that you had that confidence even back then because if if I'd gone to an audition like that, obviously I'm not a guitar player, but say it, you know, back in my radio days, if I had done something like that and they brought me into an, a classic building like the Orpheum and put me up on stage, I I don't know if I would have had that that confidence that drive when especially when you saw like 12 other guys sitting in the in the seats with their guitars ready to ready to go that had to be a very cool moment when you knew you know and you know you knew in your heart that you you were in the groove and and you probably had the gig i i definitely did feel that way and uh and it turned out to be the case now our first show was at the paradise and my band had already been playing at the paradise we had headlined the paradise and we we had gotten to the level where we were headlining the big clubs in boston and i won't say new england but certainly the boss greater boston area but the daunting part came when after we did the paradise show the very next show was the first of our shows on tour with ozzy osbourne <laughs> with with def leppard as the opening oh. so no so, pressure. <laughs> so the first show was at the Springfield Civic Center. Oh, I've been there. That's like an it's like hockey rink, right? Yeah. Arena. Sticky old so sweaty the, barn. Yep. <laughs> so so after the Paradise, which was a club that I was familiar with, that whole vibe. The very next show was was at this the first of many shows with Ozzy and Def Leppard. The daunting part began began when I walked into that arena yeah. and thought. Oh my gosh, I'm going to be <laughs> the front man for the Joe Perry project tonight. Right. In a in an arena. Okay. Yeah. So so I had never done that before. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was that was an experience and you know we ended up I can't remember how many shows we did, but maybe a few dozen. 
I got to really learn about the rhythm of the road and the rhythm of you know a touring lifestyle yeah now i had toured before but i hadn't i had toured when i was first starting out i didn't play guitar in the band i was the lead singer and there were two guitar players they were older than me it was their band and we did covers not top 40 covers but we did you know deep cuts nice. yard birds fleetwood mac you know things like that we would play four to six nights a week maybe four to six sets a night for 40 to 45 weeks a year wow and I did, and I did that. You know, we would drive from maybe Buffalo to Philadelphia and everything in between uh, for two or three years. So I had been doing hundreds or thousands of shows, but it wasn't like touring with Ozzy and Def Leppard. You know, that was a different whole thing. Yep. So when that, when I first started doing that, I was a. a Definitely had my eyes open. Charlie right. Farron is my guest singer-songwriter. CharlieFerrin.com is the website. My guest on the Treadcast. And Charlie, is, is there any kind of like uh, Ozzy, Randy Rhodes, Def Leppard story you can t tell that's not going to get you in trouble? <laughs> oh, no, not in trouble. I mean, I, I <laughs> had definitely, Randy was, uh, you know, making his mark at that point. Yeah. I think, I think, I think crazy train. Yep. Yep. I, 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 yeah, I, yeah, that's you know, it. That, <laughs> nice. That, that was like it was. That was the time when that song was huge, and Randy was really making his mark as a as a marquee kind of lead guitar player, kind of a new school kind of a the yeah. guy. Tommy Aldrich was playing drums; Oof. it was terrific. Yeah, and De Def Leppard was great, but they didn't have that Def Leppard sound yet. Yep, but they were a drop dead powerful tight band. So so it was it was a lot of fun. I you know the I guess the funny story. That first night after our sound check, I was walking around the auditorium, the arena, thinking, wow, you know, looking at the stage in different perspectives. And uh, I had to use the men's room. And by the time I came out, they had opened the doors. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I went to go backstage, but I didn't have a pass with me. Uh oh. And they said, no, 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 you can't come back. And I'm thinking, oh my God, what am I going to do? <laughs> and, uh, Ronnie came out and found me and pulled me back, and I can remember Joe saying, "Dude, you got to learn how to carry yourself. You shouldn't. You shouldn't need a pass. Right. The real deal guys don't need the pass. Yeah. Right. So I I remember that, and I I I love that story. It's true. And uh, yeah, I, I learned a lot from working with Joe. Mm -hmm. um, he's he's uh, a terrific writer, and uh, he doesn't write the same way I do, but. Uh, I, I got to see his process and had a chance to write a lot of really terrific songs with with him. Yeah, and I, with David. All right, Charlie. Let's. I gotta. I gotta. I gotta touch on Fahrenheit a little bit. So you and uh, Joe Perry goes back with Aerosmith. You, David, and Muzz get together, put together Fahrenheit. And, and take us through, you know, if you got you know, a couple of minutes, just take us through that. Because again, I'm just, I'm just gonna sure. bask in the glow of it. I'm not gonna lie to you. <laughs> I, uh, the interim between Joe Perry Project and uh, Fahrenheit, I had I had uh, an opportunity to perform with and tour with a band that was called the New England All-Star Jam Band. And we all got in the bus. We never rehearsed. We just went out and jammed and we, we played. I can't remember how many dates, but James Montgomery, Barry Goodrow from Boston, mm -hmm. Skunk Baxter, uh, Elliot Randall. Uh, from Steely Dan, Skunk was with uh, Doobie Brothers and Steely Dan. John Butcher. Um, yes, yep. I'm going to leave somebody out, but uh, <laughs> lo lots of cool people. Franny Sheehan from Boston. Uh, I think that Jay Giles was on some of those shows Ooh, on Magic Dick. Nice. Um, Roger Earl was the drum from Foghat. And, and getting to know Roger through him, 
long story short, I ran into his manager who saw my, who Fahrenheit actually did a show with the jam band at one point at the channel. And the manager, his manager uh, saw us and connected us with Warner Brothers and got us signed to Warner Brothers. Now, this was before we did more than two or three shows. Uh, he, he, we were able to get Keith Olsen to produce our first record. Very nice. And, and signed with Warner Brothers, and th that it happened really quickly, and we got that deal before we even did more than one or two shows. Uh, yeah, so we did. We we ended up getting the Boston tour for that year in eighty. Oh, that yeah. was in the eighty-seven, uh, and we did about I, I don't know eighty-five or ninety shows with them. So that's kind of the fast. That's kind of the uh, italics version of what <laughs> happened over those years. But right. But uh, that was the connection. It was through Foghat. His manager, Roger's manager, uh, had got his start working for Brian Epstein, working for the Beatles. Yeah. So that was the that's wow. my Beatles connection. Wow. But I'm still in touch with Roger. He's still doing great. It's still touring and doing fantastic. So. Yep. Charlie Farron is my guest singer songwriter. CharlieFarron.com is the website. He is my guest on the Treadcast. So Charlie, you, the album comes out. You got the tour with Boston. You know things are, are going well. And again, like we talked about earlier, the Boston music scene was just insane back then. All the different bands getting together, being you know signed. Lansdowne Street's buzzing. You got BCN on the street. You got Woolly Mammoth Studios down the street. Things are going you know all sorts of crazy. And then you decide, you know what? I'm going to leave all this and, and go work for a computer for a computer company. I may have jumped ahead <laughs> well, a little bit, but <laughs> kind, well, no, kind of. So, so 89 was a, was a turning point in a lot of ways because the music changed. Yep. The whole, the whole vibe of the music industry changed because mp3.com came out. It was the whole landscape changed, which yeah. means the labels changed the, the, the way that these companies were constructed, changed the sound changed. And the big thing was we started having kids. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. so I knew I had been touring for 10 years a lot. I continued to play. I continued to perform and make records and write, but I didn't tour. So that was the difference. I would do, oh, maybe three or four shows a year, uh, original music shows as a solo. That's when I started to perform solo. Mm -hmm. And I took a job, a small job at Digital Equipment Corporation. Uh, and it got it turned into a bigger job when Compaq bought digital. And then when HP bought Compaq, I had a, a real grown man's job, a real dad's <laughs> a grown up a job. Dad's yep. job. <laughs> and and uh, I, it was a, a, like an international global kind of a position. Mm -hmm. And I continued to perform again and make records, but not tour. And that was my focus. My focus was my family and my, my job. Uh, but also my focus was uh, keep, keeping the music going and making sure I kept writing. And I did that for 20 years. How Now, how was that transition, though? I mean, because th there was, again, when you decided in 89, and you did see the landscape in front of you, which a lot of people didn't have that sort of, that sort of foresight um, to do that. But the scene was still very active. You still knew a lot of people. How hard was it for you to just be like, you know what, I need to take a, I need to step away? Because a lot of people right now, as you know, with all this have been transitioning to different things and different jobs and different parts of their life. How, what, you know, for you to have that, you know, kind of at the moment, sort of the world at your feet, and you could have gone a lot of different directions to be able to walk away from that to, to do a complete change of pace, really. Well, it was a it was a complete change of pace, but I never felt like I walked away. I felt like I just pivoted. Yep. Again, I, I think of myself primarily as a writer and then secondarily as a singer who self-accompanies, 
right? The, mm -hmm. I, I don't think of myself as a guitarist first. I think of myself as a writer first. So I continue to write. I continue to walk around the house with my guitar on, dreaming up songs. Mm -hmm. And that's what I usually, that's what I do now. Right. And uh, so I continued to do that. And so it didn't feel like such a transition. I think it probably looked or seems more like a, a big change in, in direction, but mm -hmm. it didn't feel that way to me. Right. Um, I felt my way into the corporate life. Uh, that was a little bit weird, but I was welcome because a lot of people kind of knew who I was. Right. And they wanted to hear the stories. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> so yep. it, it kind of helped. It kind of helped. It was a door opener for me a little bit. Mm -hmm. The job I had was it wasn't a technical. It wasn't a computer job. It was a business development people job. It was a speaking job. Mm -hmm. It was a, a position where I had to put people together and put concepts together and uh, try and create an atmosphere for business. And that's really what the same thing as being in the music business. Right. You know, yep. different subject matter, but same skill set, maybe. I learned a lot by working with all, I mean, I was blown away by how smart and polished the people at Digital and Compaq and Hewlett Packard were. And, and I learned a lot from watching them and interacting with them and, and being mentored by those folks. <laughs> I just picture you walking around your house with a guitar. Now, how many how many kids do you have? We have three children. They're all grown, mm -hmm. and we have five grandchildren and counting. That's a lot of babies. <laughs> it's a lot of, it, and they're all they're all six and under. Yeah, and oh. uh, it's fa it's fantastic. Uh, I, can, I I can only imagine. But and the other thing the other thing that's great is that uh, one of my children had uh, two dogs. And she has a six-year-old, and she met someone else that also had two dogs, and it was too many dogs. <laughs> and so a couple of years ago, she came home for Christmas and gifted us one of her little dogs. Oh, okay. <laughs> so that was a surprise. Yeah. I uh -huh. had never had a dog before, and now I'm completely where is she? <laughs> I'm in love. We are cu currently in love with our little our little dog. Nice. Uh, nice. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so that's it's still a, a treat for me. Mm -hmm. uh, she's half uh, Chihuahua and half Dachshund. Wow. So that's got to be a little handful. <laughs> she's adorable. She's an adorable little thing. So that's another love of my life that happened recently. There you go, Charlie Farron is my guest. And Charlie, really, you know what? What I was kind of getting at with the whole idea of sidestepping and going into someplace else. As a fan of the band Fahrenheit, I, I got to say I was. A little bitter that you walked away from it yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have done several reunion shows oh yeah oh it's i know a, it, and and it's something that i'd like to see happen again if we can just get over this uh this uh, virus hump yeah um, i would i definitely and, and get that back because those guys were still in touch i'm still in touch with the whole crew uh we could probably make a series of uh, phone calls and pull that back together easily once the timing is right. So well, that's something that uh, is definitely on the back burner. Uh, and I'm looking forward to pulling that together one day. Well, if you need anybody to lug some gear, Charlie, you know where to find me. Okay. As you can <laughs> see, I'm, I'm not a small guy, so I can, uh, I can do a little awesome. heavy lifting there. So awesome. Charlie, uh, one last thing I always ask all of my guests, what is your definition of success? Well, look, I, one of my, one of my new songs, there's a line in it that says something like the new currency is fun. And uh, th that's as true a thing as I could think to say. Success is nothing except being happy and having fun. Mm -hmm. If you can be happy and have fun, that's that's a home run yep. every day. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing that's better than that, right? Right. And and it's a decision that everyone can just make. It's pretty simple. 
<laughs> it's pretty simple. I don't know why everybody doesn't do it, but I would advise, I would invite everyone to just take a deep breath and have fun and be happy. I, I think, you know, to your point, Charlie, I think a lot of people are sort of reevaluating and finding that things are, can be simple as that, making that conscious decision to do that, to have fun, to make a life change, a career change, a location change or whatever. And, and I think that's, that's out of all this ugliness, there is that, that little bright light up there that there has been some, there has been a good number of that, which is great. All you have to do is go for a walk yep. and breathe and look around. You know, I mean, really, you know, I mean, it's not any more complicated than that. So just try it. You might like it. <laughs> maybe, maybe you should do some like meditation uh, of recordings, like the chill channel on Sirius. That'd be kind of cool. Just you and your guitar. Uh, gonna... <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of feel like I spend all day meditating. <laughs> oh, there you go. That's not, that's not such a terribly bad thing. Charlie, people can get in touch, uh, touch with you, charliefarron.com, correct? That's the website? Yes. And they can also get in touch with me by coming to a show. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And you said you had new, uh, you got dates coming up. I think I checked out your website. You got some stuff coming up in November. I have, you know, I would have to look. I know I, I usually don't think past the next show, that's, which is that's quite all right. With, I'm just trying to do my due diligence and everything, and, and you know, sound like I know what I'm talking about. So yeah, and <laughs> and lots of great, lots of great stuff is in the is in the wings. So I'm really looking forward to uh, what's next. Ah, absolutely. Listen, Charlie, it has been an absolute pleasure. If I could find my old Fahrenheit T-shirt, which I'm pretty sure I don't have anymore, I, I would I would have totally put it on today, even though it probably doesn't fit. Um, <laughs> but getting a chance to, to to talk to you today about uh, music and life and everything else, it's been a it's been a real gas, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure, and uh, I just invite you to go have fun. Absolutely. There it is. That's the slogan. Besides America's special guest, just go out and have some fun. Charlie Farron, everybody. Charlie, again, thanks again, man. All the best. Thanks for having me. Take care, bud. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Treadcast. You can listen to this episode again if you like or past episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get yours. To get updates on future episodes, find us on Facebook at The Treadcast. 